This podcast may contain content that is graphic and disturbing in nature. Listener discretion is advised. These 18 strangers have agreed to be abandoned and left to fend for themselves. They'll be stripped to their core in one of our most intense, unpredictable, inspirational, let's just take care of each other out here, you guys, and entertaining seasons of Survivor. Reality TV. It's become a worldwide phenomenon, offering viewers a voyeuristic look into the lives of everyday people as well as celebrities. These seemingly unscripted shows have huge audiences who tune in for the conflicts and dramas, emotional breakdowns and shocking twists. But behind the glitz and glamour, there is a dark side to reality TV, which can negatively impact on the lives of its participants. For some, there is a high price to pay for the pursuit of fame and fortune. I'd like to start this episode by asking you some questions. Do you watch much television? Are you subscribed to a streaming service? Personally, I'm not a big TV watcher. There aren't really any shows that I watch religiously, and I'm not subscribed to any streaming service, although I have been curious of what they have available. So I have signed up to free trials in the past, but there's nothing really that I must watch. But when I do watch something, it's usually documentaries. My next question for you is, what TV show genre has exploded in the last 20 years? If you said reality shows, you'd be right. I remember when Big Brother first aired here in Australia and I really enjoyed it. It was something so totally different. Next, I remember getting into Survivor. And then the so-called romance reality shows started, such as The Bachelor and Marry at First Sight. They never became must-watch TV for me, but what I did notice over time is that I preferred reality shows over the so-called scripted shows. I was never really into drama shows, American sitcoms, police shows, medical shows, etc. I never became obsessed with watching reality, but I got enough of a feel of what they were about. The reality genre started around the year 2000, but it is now recognised that there are cases of people who have been adversely affected by their experiences on these shows. And as I discovered, rather surprisingly, there have been a number of people who have taken their own lives after being on one of these shows. So the question is, did the show cause this or did these people have pre-existing mental health issues? We will look at some of these people, but first let's go back and see how the reality genre started in the first place. The show, which is considered to be the first ever reality show, aired in 1998 and was called The Tourist Trap. It was set at a luxurious hotel on a Turkish island. Everyday people answered an advertisement where a free one-week holiday was being given away. There were no strings attached. Just apply and you could be holidaying at an idyllic location in Turkey. But for those people chosen, What they didn't know was that they would be participants in a reality show. The resort had hidden cameras set up to record their every move. 
they would become part of a cultural experiment which would examine how various nationalities responded to various scenarios. People were chosen from four countries, Japan, Germany, the US and the UK. One group would spend seven days at the resort. There was no mixing of nationalities. They were then subjected to various things happening to see how their nationality reacted. They wanted to see if different cultures lived up to their stereotypes. But two people in each group were actors and they secretly set up moral scenarios to see how the people reacted. For example, one actor was at the bar in the hotel and when the barman went out the back, he helped himself to an alcoholic drink without paying. He then tried to entice other people to do the same. So they filmed the first group over seven days and then their holiday was up. Another nationality then arrived for the next week and the scenarios were repeated. So after four weeks, they had data on how the four nationalities reacted to the various scenarios. This series can be found on YouTube if you're interested in watching it. Now the series became hugely successful and actually inspired the producers of another reality show which was in its early stages of development at that time, a show which is now an icon of reality TV, Big Brother. At that time in the 1990s, television companies were looking for fresh ideas, something different and unique, and all sorts of ideas were being thrown around. They wanted something groundbreaking that had never been attempted before. And here are some of the examples of concepts which never got off the ground, and you'll soon see why. One idea was for a show called The Net. There was a location in the UK which was well known as a suicide spot. People would jump off a cliff to their deaths. So the idea for this show was to put a net under the cliff and then document people who were saved from taking their lives. The producers got the idea from a documentary about people jumping off the Golden Gate Bridge. Needless to say, this show never came to light. But honestly, who would come up with such a horrible concept? Another show which also didn't make it was called Fat Front Door. A group of overweight people would be put into a house and the only way they could leave is to lose weight in order to fit through a deliberately small exit door. So they would have to exercise and eat properly to lose weight while constantly being tempted with junk food. And anyone who succeeded would win the prize money. How bizarre, right? Another concept which was considered was inspired by the iconic story of Robinson Crusoe. How about stranding a group of people on a deserted island and see if they can survive on their own? But the concept also went one step further. It would involve a competition and elimination component, which had never been done before. While the idea showed some promise, the US producers of the concept failed to convince television companies to take it on. It was just seen as too risky that it could result in the death of the participants if left to try to survive on their own. But there was also the question about the psychological damage that may be done to the people who were voted off. However, they decided to take their idea further afield to other countries. And after no success initially, they finally found a country willing to buy the series, and that was Sweden. 
so the concept was sold to Sweden, and in 1997, the first series was released, which became a huge success. The series involved a group of people being left on an island in Malaysia, where they competed in challenges and eliminated each other one by one, and it was called Expedition Robinson. The US producers had now seen their concept successfully carried out, and it then became easy to sell the show to US television companies. Now, you have probably worked out which show I'm talking about here. It has run now from the year 2000 and still continues today. Yes, the iconic Survivor. So that is how the whole show started, thanks to Sweden being brave enough to take it on. And incidentally, the Swedish version of Survivor still runs to this current day. However, there is more to mention about that groundbreaking series in Sweden in 1997. While we know it spawned Survivor, it is also remembered for something else that happened on that very first series. There were 16 people chosen as the contestants on that first series. One of those was a man named Sinisa Savija. He had been a Bosnian refugee who fled to Sweden during the Bosnian War in the early 1990s. He was 34 years old and married. The 16 people were divided into two teams. Each episode saw them compete against each other. The losing team would then have to vote off one of their teammates, and the episodes continue until one person is crowned the winner. In that very first episode, this Bosnian man was voted off by his teammates. Remember, this had been the very first elimination show of its type. Of the eight people in the team, he was voted out of the show by a vote of four to three, so the voting had been very close. So he went home and the series continued. And if you know how Survivor works, the whole series is filmed and then edited and released. So after Sinisa left, the episodes continued, but of course it wouldn't be aired for a while. After going home, he told his wife how embarrassed he had been to be the first person voted off. He was worried about how he would be portrayed when the series aired. Would the producers edit his involvement in a negative way? And it seems that all of this worry was just too much for him to bear, and he took his own life. Just two months after he left, but before the show was released. When the news of his suicide hit the media, people were clearly saddened, but there was also a strong reaction against the production company. The show was condemned. His treatment was viewed as bullying, and it was referred to as suicide TV. The television company were put under intense pressure not to put the show to air, so they were put in a very difficult position. If it was aired, would it be seen as bad taste? Would the public boycott it? Ultimately, they decided that the show would be released. And to my mind, this was because too much money had been invested and they were only concerned about profit. But they did decide to re-edit that first episode so that Sinisa didn't appear on camera too much. I have watched the show, which is easily found on YouTube, and he can be seen in the background. He does speak on camera once, but they apparently cut some of him out from the original edit. Their aim was to play down his appearance, not to have the other players discussing how he played the game or making negative comments about him. 
All of this was to soften the blow, not to make it look as though these people had it in for him, so to speak. They didn't want the elimination concept to be blamed for his suicide, which would then shed a bad light on the production company. When it came to the voting, usually the host reveals all of the votes, but this didn't happen. You only see three out of the seven votes revealed, each for a different person. So you don't actually see that Sinisa got four votes. You only see him get one vote. Then he is announced as being voted off. He shakes hands with everyone and walks off. So the whole voting process was cut down. I just felt very sad watching it, as you know that this man would go on to take his life. So at the end of the episode, I was expecting to see a tribute to him. You know, something like, in loving memory of Sinisa Savija, rest in peace. But they did not acknowledge him at all, and I just couldn't believe it. I even watched the very last episode where the winner was announced, but he wasn't even mentioned in the closing credits. And I just thought that was so appalling. Now, remember how they were concerned about the public boycotting the show? Well, you can probably guess that all the publicity made it a huge success. People tuned in to see the man who had committed suicide. As already mentioned, the show continued in Sweden and today remains the longest-running show on Swedish television. So what are your thoughts about this man's death? Did the show contribute to his suicide? Or did he have pre-existing mental health issues? After all, he had been a war refugee, so had his experiences in the war affected him? We'll never know for sure, but perhaps it is possible to understand how people perceive the show and why it was criticised. It had been a totally new concept for television, a competition format where people voted other people off, vying to be the winner and to claim a large sum of prize money. Perhaps it was seen as a very nasty, cutthroat concept, but it must also be noted that the contestants were aware of the concept. They knew that they would be voting people off, so Sinisa would have known this, so there had not been any element of surprise. As already seen, Survivor in the US didn't get off the ground due to the fear that contestants would die if left to fend for themselves. And then when Sweden finally decided to take the risk, a person killed themselves in the very first episode of the very first elimination show. So those initial fears had been realised, although it was actually the survival aspect which caused the fear, not someone taking their life after the experience. The players who voted him off were asked why they voted for him, and it's very interesting that they didn't have any particular reason. They just described him as being very quiet, and they had all only been together for a few days before they had to make a choice about who to vote off. So it seems it wasn't for any particular reason. Out of the eight people, three of them got votes, so it's not as though it was a landslide. So here is what Sinise's wife said, quote, He became deeply depressed and agonised. He felt degraded as a person and didn't see any meaning in life. He was a glad and stable person when he went away, and when he came back, he told me, they are going to cut away the good things I did and make me look like a fool to show that I was the worst and that I was the one that had to go. He worried about having to wait to see his failure on the air. 
his family ultimately decided not to sue the show. So following the show's success, the US creators of the show were able to sell it to CBS, and Survivor was born. In the years that followed, other reality shows also began, such as The Apprentice, Big Brother, and Shark Tank. Reality TV had now well and truly arrived. Now let's look at another reality show, which premiered in the year 2005. It too was to become embroiled in controversy. It was called The Contender, and the concept revolved around 16 young men who competed in a knockout boxing competition, with the last man standing being awarded a million-dollar prize. So any guess who hosted this boxing competition? Who else but Sylvester Stallone? But there was also another host, another iconic American boxing champion, Sugar Ray Leonard. The contestants chosen were young street boxers, typically from poor backgrounds, who had grown up in gang violence. Some had been homeless and also had had run-ins with the law, but they weren't just backyard boxers. They were chosen for the show because they had talent. Just imagine how these young men felt being in the presence of Sly and Sugar Ray. One of the contestants was a 23-year-old man named Naji Turpin. Naji had lived in poverty his whole life, but was trying to turn his life around. When he discovered boxing, it gave him a renewed purpose in life. Training in the gym became his life, and he was viewed as being very talented. He had a girlfriend and a baby daughter, and when he found out about the show, he decided to apply, as he wanted to make a better life for his family. The prize money certainly appealed to him and the other contestants. It was their ticket out of poverty. Now listen here to the show's promo. You get to hear from the contestants and their families and what being on the show meant to them. Naji is the second voice that you will hear. I'm a fighter. This is what I do. Now it's time for me to actually go out there and prove that I can do this. This is it. This is make it or break it. Do or die. They always tell me you're going to have to fight your way out of ghetto. So that's what I'm going to try to do, fight my way out of ghetto. If I can win a couple big fights and make some good money for my family so they don't have to struggle, that's what I'm going to do. You know, they're going to have to kill me to get me out of there. Life is a fight. Everyone gets knocked down. What matters is how fast you get up. That's what this story is all about. The Contender is about the lives, loves, hopes, dreams, and fears of 16 heroes as they battle it out in a quest to become a champion. They come from across America, each with a different story to tell. Some heroic. My father's a lieutenant commander in the Navy. He's part of a shock trauma platoon. He's inserted in an undisclosed location outside of Kandahar in Afghanistan, and he's in harm's way. And and we just want them home. Some heartwarming. When I come home after a fight and I can see my daughter and my son, and the first thing they come up and do is give me a hug, the look on their face is phenomenal. There's no two better reasons to fight than those two kids and a dream deep within my heart. So I'm inspired. My mom deserves the best and she never got it. If I win this, my mom is going to stop working. My mom doesn't need to be working at a warehouse at 16. It's my turn to take care of her. last 
chance to show the world what kind of fighter he is. And he'll always be our champ. He's a family man. And he's going to work harder for us to get us where we need to be. You worry when your son boxes. I thought he would stop boxing, which was my hope. But I'm his mom, and I'm going to be there. Their abilities are unique, but their stories are universal. It's about love, dignity, and courage. 16 men, fathers, sons, and brothers, with one common goal, to fight live at Caesars Palace in Las Vegas for $1 million and a chance to change their lives and the lives of the people they love forever. When he gets in that ring, he's not fighting for him. He's fighting because he believes in something. He's fighting for our family. And I don't want the world to see me Cause I don't think that they'd understand When everything's made to be broken I just want you to know who I am I just want you to know who I am I just want Who will have the heart? Who will have the courage? Who will dare to be great? So the contestants all live together and the cameras follow them as they train and compete against each other. Each match takes place in a boxing arena with a full crowd and with their families cheering them on, as well as Sly and Sugar Ray Leonard encouraging them from ringside. So Najee goes into his first fight and we can only imagine what this fight meant to him. He was so determined to succeed and to change his family's fortune. But it wasn't to be. Naji loses the fight. Contestants who lose then leave the show, but they are bound by their contracts not to discuss the outcome with their friends or family. So Naji couldn't tell his girlfriend or boxing coach how he went. There was also a stipulation in the contract that Naji and the others eliminated that they were not allowed to box for money until the show aired. Naji had been earning a living from boxing, but now he couldn't do this. And after the show aired, they were also limited to how much boxing they could do for the next two years. So in effect, Naji couldn't earn a living and he had a girlfriend and a child to support. So the show continued until the eventual winner was crowned and then it was aired on television. Only then did the contestants' families find out how they did. However, before the show even aired, tragedy struck when Naji took his life. So it appeared that losing the match and having his dream shattered was just too much to bear. His family and friends had noticed that he had been depressed after appearing on the show, but of course no one knew why because he was sworn to secrecy. But following a further investigation, it became clear that Naji's despair ran much deeper. We know that in boxing, there are strict guidelines for weight and height. All of the contestants on the show fell into the middleweight division. However, Naji's opponent was taller than him, a whole seven inches. Now, this may not mean much to us as non-boxing fans, but did this contribute to Naji's defeat? I wonder what his reaction was when he saw his first opponent. Did he feel that it would be an unfair contest? After he lost, was he upset at the matchup? 
We will never know, as of course he was bound by the non-disclosure agreement. But just imagine his frame of mind as he stepped into that ring. The whole crowd was cheering, and so was Sly and Sugar Ray, who had been his idols. He wants to give them his best performance, but Naji loses. We can only imagine how shattered he was, but he doesn't show it. Naji embraces with his opponent. He gives Naji a kiss on the cheek and says something to the effect, I'm proud of you, no matter what happened in the ring, I respect you. So it's a lovely moment between rivals. After the match, Naji walks out of the arena where he is greeted by Sly. And here is a short sequence of this moment. His opponent is interviewed after the match and says, quote, I gotta give it to Naji. He went for glory. A little guy against a big guy and he came out swinging. Now, isn't this interesting that the winner himself acknowledges the height difference? Now, it must also be said that this man goes on to win the competition. So was Naji's defeat simply a foregone conclusion? Or did the height difference really factor into the match? This man went on to have a very successful professional boxing career. So perhaps Naji just didn't have a chance right from the outset. So Naji leaves, bitterly disappointed and also embarrassed. He is sworn to secrecy and can't box until the show airs. And all of this angst eventually takes its toll. But it also happened in the most shocking way. Naji was in his car with his girlfriend and baby when he took out a gun and shot himself right there in front of them. Of course, his death led to much speculation. Once the details of the unfair matchup came to light, Many blamed the show for his death, but there was also speculation that the producers deliberately paired him up with a taller guy to ensure that he would lose. But why would they want him to lose? Some say that Naji just wasn't television material. He was very quiet and didn't have the sort of personality which made good television. Therefore, they wanted to eliminate him early. But this was never proven because, of course, the producers would never admit to this. The show came under intense scrutiny, but it was discovered that the producers did do the right thing in submitting the contestants to a psychological assessment. By Naji's own admission, he revealed that he had suffered from bipolar and had tried to take his life in the past. But as seen, they still allowed him to be on the show. But at least in this case, the show did do the right thing and they acknowledged Naji on the show. The episode still aired in its entirety, but with a special tribute to Naji. I wasn't able to find this video, but at least they did acknowledge him, unlike the Swedish producers of Survivor. The producers also set up a trust fund for Naji's daughter. So much had been written about his death, but here is what a close friend had to say. Brian Sutcliffe had been a self-described upper-middle-class white guy. He wanted to learn to box and found himself training at the same gym as Naji. And here are his thoughts about Naji. He wrote an article titled, A Tribute to Naji Turpin, How NBC's The Contender Destroyed a Good Man. I first met Naji Turpin when I stumbled onto the gym where he trained. That neighbourhood is full of drug dealers and gangs. The kids who train there 
All they know growing up is death. I am an upper-middle-class white guy, an investment professional. The people at this gym are so warm and caring. They are all so beautiful in such a bad place. I was taken with the way these kids are helped through this place. A lot of them are troubled youths who don't have families. This gym is a brotherhood and it teaches them not to steal, not to deal, not to join a gang. These kids are taught humility and respect. It moulds them into adults who are respectful of their community and people around them. Naji was one of these kids. The gym is run by trainer Percy Custis. It really is a testament to what Percy has done. He is a tough-as-nails guy with the biggest heart. I am the person whose idea it was to have Naji audition for the contender. As a matter of fact, I made his audition video. He was a great fighter, and we thought that this show would help him. The contract Naji signed with the producers forbade him discussing the results. After he left the show, he was left without a support structure. He was completely alone and he felt that he had let everyone down. I know they needed to keep the show a secret, but it hurts me that he might have been able to survive this depression if he had been able to discuss what he was going through inside. I hold a great deal of sadness now as I wish I had never pushed him into this situation. Percy always questioned the show and how it was Hollywood, and they don't care about these kids as much as it was about ratings. I always told Percy not to worry, and it was all going to work out. He was going to be great, and the country would fall in love with this kid. I guess Percy was right, and I was wrong. It was so obvious to us, after watching this show, how much he was hurting. It just shows how little they cared. These guys from the show only cared about ratings. Naji's life was the sport. It is such a tragedy and it saddens me beyond belief. Now to date, I have read that there have been roughly 41 suicides by people on reality shows. But there is one particular show which accounts for the most suicides. And this is the show called Love Island. There were two contestants who took their lives after appearing on the show, and quite surprisingly, the female host also took her life. So is the show to blame? Or did these people have troubled lives before the show? We know that the female host was sacked from the show because she had been involved in a court case, accused of assaulting her boyfriend with a lamp, a charge that she had denied but she was facing a trial at the time of her death. Another contestant had faced cyberbullying and trolls after leaving the show, and the other reportedly had financial difficulties. In my own personal opinion, it's hard to definitively say that the suicides were caused by the shows, although this is more clear for Naji than for Sunisa. Today, production companies have selection processes to ensure their contestants are well-adjusted, mentally resilient individuals, so they say. Some are said to also offer follow-up counselling for contestants. While all of this is well and good, personally, I do think contestants are exploited. They can be portrayed and edited in any way that the producers see fit. 
I just think some people are not able to cope with the public attention that they get from these shows. They see it as a way to make money or to gain fame, but then find themselves receiving negative attention all over social media. For many, their expectations become totally shattered. But I just think these people are really naive. The fact that 41 people from reality shows have taken their lives, should we consider this to be an alarming number? But just think of how many people have appeared on reality shows in the last 20 years. So should the number of suicides be considered as alarming? At the end of the day, these TV shows are money-making machines. They are cheap to make because they use everyday people and therefore don't have A-list stars who demand large salaries. They prey on people who are naive and dream of making it big. Yes, some do, but the majority don't. So I think a lot of them go into these experiences with totally the wrong expectations. So to my mind, these shows are not to blame because all television is just about profits. And if these people intentionally make a decision to go onto these shows, then they need to accept the consequences. I think these days people are much more savvy to the whole reality machine, but I still do think that people go on there totally naively. And maybe the desire to be famous is in itself a red flag for mental health issues in some cases. So I thought we could end this episode with a quote about fame. What is fame? It's nothing but a hot air balloon. Bye for now and remember to be a good apple.